welcome to the In Vino Fab podcast. I'm Patrice. And I'm Laura. In Vino Fabulum means in wine story. There are so many tales that need to be told about women from all walks of life in their communities paired with wine, of course. The In Vino Fab pod is a place to learn and space, share stories about our work, interests, passion projects, issues, and random wine facts, of course. On this episode of In Vino Fab, we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Katie Linder. Katie is an avid writer and researcher with a passion for process and peeking behind the scenes at what it takes to be successful as an academic. She's a creator of the You've Got This podcast and blogs weekly at The Academic Creative. Katie's most recent book is Going Alt-Ac, a guide to alternative academic careers. Currently, she serves as the executive director for program development at Kansas State University Global Campus. For the past several years, Katie's work has focused on blended course design, best practices, institutional supports for accessibility in online learning, and research literacy for scholarship of teaching and learning practitioners and distance education stakeholders. She speaks on topics related to writing and publication, creativity and productivity, self-promotion, and personal branding, and teaching and learning with technology. Katie is also a certified coach through the International Coach Federation, and if you don't know, she's a prolific podcaster and newsletter sender, so we're going to talk to her and learn all that we can on this episode of Inivino Fat. Well, welcome to the pod, Katie. So glad to have you. I am super excited to be here, Laura. Well, I'm I'm like an amateur podcaster compared to Katie, so having her on the pod is kind of like meta. It's like bringing the Terry Gross of higher ed and... Uh, <laughs> It's so good to have you. Like, um, no, I'm excited because we're both in like similar kind of stages in our career um, that we're doing something new in a new yeah. place. And yeah. I think I was like, I need help. And I knew that you're the right person to talk to because we can maybe self-help what we're doing in our work lives and our job lives. And uh, it's so great to have a conversation with you about this. Yes. I want some of your advice too, because what Laura and I just realized before we hit record is we literally started our new jobs on the same day, February 3rd. 2020 as we record this. Um, so we have been in our jobs roughly four weeks or a month. And um, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, we have to, we have to be sharing advice of how this is going and, and what are the things we're learning. So yeah, super excited to be here. Um, bonus fact on that one, Katie was more prepared and gave her time to move, give herself time to move and get a place to live. Um, I just like packed up the day before and flew in. I can't so. imagine. <laughs> I cannot even imagine. It's not wow. recommended. It's not recommended. Okay. So we're both in a new role and we're doing um, something uh, different than we did before. And we're in a new organization. So how did you prepare? Like, what did you start thinking about? Because you, you had more preparation than I. So we're going to talk about preparation first. So what did you decide yeah. to do before you even got to um, your new location and your new organization, the new university you're at? Yeah, so just a sense of timeline. So I accepted this job in kind of early November-ish of 2019. And then I technically started um, in early February. So I had, you know, those those kind of three months to be figuring out how to wrap up my old job, which basically happened in early January. And then my partner and I moved from Oregon to Kansas in early January. Um, and then I had about three weeks in between jobs where I was able to kind of get situated in our new house here and kind of do all the things that happen when you do a, a cross-state move. Um, we also have a business that we had to move from one state to another. So there were some things going on there. So I, um, if I ever do this again, I hope to have the same situation. <laughs> it was so 
nice to have those few weeks where we could settle into our home. We could figure out this new city. I wasn't feeling pressured of like doing all the things at work, the cognitive overload of that. Um, and so in terms of getting ready, the, I would say one of the main things I did was try to get my routines set. And I really focused on my morning routine in particular, because you know, when you're not going into work every day, you start staying up later, you start getting up later, <laughs> you have kind of some flexibility in that schedule. So I was really focused like the couple of weeks before I started with getting an ex exercise routine going, making sure I had my kind of home gym set up, making sure that I had, um, I do morning pages, which is like a journaling um, exercise in the morning and just having that kind of set and having a clear expectation of what that was going to look like for me. And I have to tell you, Laura, I'm kind of shocked I've been able to keep it up because I, I did expect it to like completely fall off once I started this new job. And so far, you know, like fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever. I'm like four weeks in to the new job and I have consistently been hitting those workouts and journaling in the, mor the morning routine. Um, but I do think that part of it is because I carved out that time and it is only for that. Like I never compete with anything else. I'm not doing any kind of other work or other kinds of tasks in the morning. So having that kind of limited understanding of like, I'm just going to work out. I'm just going to do the journaling. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to get ready to go. Like that's really the only thing that fits into that time. And, um, yeah, I hope I can continue it because I do think it's really helping me to have some solitude time in the morning as an introvert. I really need that, um, before I really dive into what has been really busy days. Yeah, I, um, I think you're right. I had a little bit less time. I, I, I asked for a little bit more time, which gave me, um, I made a decision. So I got, offered while well, it was over the winter break. So it was actually, we were on holidays and heading to New Zealand. So that's when I got my offer and I had to decide before New Year's. And then they wanted me to start um, two weeks later on January 16th. So I said, can I start in February? Yeah. Um, I know why you. they, yeah, I know why they wanted me to start. My team had a big summit, which was big planning for the year. And so I'm catching up on those notes. So I wish I was there for some of that interactive teaming because we have a, a global team I'm on now and I would have met some of them in person, which I, it'll be a little bit trickier, but I'll get to meet them in person eventually. I've heard um, in different places and sites we visit. But um, so I came on the third, like Katie of February um, and I flew the day before, but that was by my choice because I'm not fully moving house just yet. So you all had to like sell a house, buy a house, move right. stuff. So right. I have a good relocation package um, that lets me do that within a year. And that helps because my partner isn't transferring his up. He's going to do an internal transfer with his company at some point. Um, and I knew I wanted to get there and start um, kind of getting feel for the job first. And so I decided to like Airbnb it for a few months. It might be, it's two right now, it might be three um, and look, and give myself some time just because the market of housing is so different um, in Seattle than it is in Dallas. Um, so I'm kind of okay because the market will open up more in the coming months. So I just really wanted to focus on, like you, a uh, routine. So a morning routine of uh, working out. So I, I signed up for a marathon, so I have to run. Otherwise, I will um, not make it through the Big Sur Marathon in April. And um, meditating. So um, I have a little, I brought my little uh, cushion that I sit on and I have a think and um, I kind of, gather my thoughts because it gets super busy when you're starting a new role and you're getting a whole bunch of things at once. So I figured I better reframe my mind before each day. And so I try mm -hmm. to do like what you're doing is take some time for you. Um, I'm more of an extrovert, but I really want to crawl into my shell because you meet with so many people when you start. It's a insane. Job. Yeah, <laughs> it is completely. Well, and I think too, you and I talked a little bit before we hit record yeah. about 
I think for each of us, this is kind of a position that's leveled up a little bit in terms of what we're expected to be bringing to the table and kind of our role within an organization. And so I just two days ago, one of our admins said, have you ever had this many meetings? And I was like, no, I've never had this many meetings before in my life. Um, And so and she's like, yeah, I don't think it's going to change. I'm like, I don't think it's going to change either. But like in this first four months, I had over 100 meetings on my calendar. And just this last week, I had 36. And it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just like, how do you even, and yet I'm doing it. I mean, like, I I feel like I have good systems in place, but it is a totally different realm of experience than what I was doing in my previous job where I would have meetings, but maybe like seven or eight a week. I had lots of time during the day, lots of margin to kind of do what I wanted to do. And in the job I'm in now, I'm delegating way more. I have a larger team. I don't need that margin as much to move things forward because other people are moving it forward. So it's, it's a very different kind of mindset and approach Mm. than what I was doing before. And I think even that adjustment has been, you know, interesting to try to figure out what's my role in all of this. Yeah. And the one, there's lots of encouragement to do one-on-ones. You and I talked about our onboarding plans are pretty um, comprehensive and I'm grateful Mm -hmm. for that. Um, But they've encouraged, they've listed people that I should meet with one-on-one. And then as I meet with more one-on-ones, they're like, oh, you should also talk to so-and-so in this section of the org or this person here. And um, I I think it's fantastic, but it's about um, meeting with them and then absorbing and putting them into like that kind of framework of where do they fit in in the role you're doing and how will they support and then also connecting the dots between functions um things you're going to work on projects so i'm kind of like i need a like i need a bigger whiteboard uh i don't have an office now i'm in an open office plan so i'm like where do i put my virtual whiteboard and how do i map it out and uh, someone else onboarded similar time to me and she's like oh i have an excel doc that i put people under and i was like can I borrow that? And she was like, I'll send it to you. And so oh we've been gosh. kind of been talking and sharing of how do you fit people into the org, where the, what they do and um, who maybe who they report to or what they're working on even, I think has kind of been more interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I had my admin, um, I'm kind of old school in this way. I had her create what I call a Facebook, which is basically pictures of people with their titles and kind of situating them because I'm still within an academic institution. So, you know, like who's the dean of this college and who are the yeah. department heads and what do they look like? Because I've actually found that I'm meeting so many people, I'm having a hard time remembering, you know, like who, and, and especially when I'm seeing them out of context after the first meeting, yeah. I, they'll say, oh yeah, we met. And I'm like, wait, what did we meet? What, what did we talk about? Cause I've literally met hundreds of people this month. Like it is just, there's so many people coming through my office and I'm going to them. And so having something that I can refer to and it's on the website and whatever, but I just have a binder too. That's like helping me to kind of remember who these people are. Um, but I think that that part of like processing all that information and having systems of like, Mm -hmm. how are you deciding what's important and what's not? Because when you first come in, it's like, everything is kind of important, but then you eventually, I feel like now that I'm in my, this past week, this fourth week was like when I was finally able to start saying like, Oh, that is not a priority. Like it's good information for me to have, but I don't need to act on that information. Whereas in week one, I was like, Oh, I have to act on all these things. Like I just, I, I had no filter. And so I feel like the more information you get, the more you have the filter of this is important or this is not important to know. And you could contextualize it and understand, like, I like that idea. I think you're, what you said is mapping out, like, a people mind map or fa- like a, right. a directory of them and visuals important. We do have a visual tool in our org that has uh, where people fit and flow to in, in the work org. And then you could click on their image and they have, like, about me, a little quick about me. Um, but I've also said, like, if you've met with them, like, 
creating your own and putting like a couple bullet points and going, oh, this is what we talked about, or I'm going to follow up with them is really important. Um, how else are you organizing? Because I'm shifting to like a new office kind of space, and I'm not sure what your previous office was. Well, I was in my house, and now I'm in an open office plan. So I was trying to figure out like workflowy for me. I was like, how did you like? How did you go about thinking about how you'd organize um, yourself and uh, your whole business self of <laughs> workflow? Because I know that you do um, stuff within your org that you're going to have to manage. And I didn't know if you had a new strategy or system of doing this now. Yeah. So I, I'll break my response into kind of two things. One is kind of the physical work environment, and then the second is what I'm doing with some digital tools. I came from an office space where I had um, a large whiteboard, a four by six, which that's always really important to me to have that whiteboard. And it was just an office. Like I I did have an office with a door. Now I have an office with a door that's in a suite. And I actually have a conference room that is like my dedicated conference room that no one else can book. And it's right next door to my office. This is amazing. That's sweet. I'm (laughs) going to come visit you and work there then. I'm like, oh, it is is so nice. And both my office and that conference room have these really large whiteboards. And so I often meet with my staff in there. And Mm -hmm. it's only for kind of small group meetings. There's other meetings within this building that I can um, schedule rooms. But um, that has been really key, that kind of physical space of being able to have a place where I'm not constantly worrying about like booking rooms and things like that. I also have in that suite um, an admin. So I do have someone who is kind of responsible for managing my calendar, which I've not had in the past and was a little bit of a learning curve. And because of the position I have within my kind of local organization within the institution, there's actually more than one admin who adds things to my calendar. Right. Because sometimes when I'm meeting with like upper level people, there's a separate admin who kind of works with that. Um, and that has been incredible. It's amazing to me, the skill, it's an art and a science that goes into managing someone's calendar. It really is. It's incredible. I I mean, and I have so much respect for all of that and how do you kind of juggle who's goes where and all these things. So, um, and because I have so many meetings, um, it really does take a lot of this person's time to kind of make sure that if I have to move something, all these other things get reshuffled and, heaven help me if I'm like sick for a week, because like, I don't know where all those meetings are going to go. Like I, it's just kind of crazy, but okay. So that's kind of the physical side, the digital side. And I, we can link to an episode of my podcast that I talked about this in the show notes the day before I started. So February 2nd, Sunday, I decided kind of, um, spontaneously, I've been thinking about it for a little while, but I decided to move completely from being a paper-based person to being a digital person. And this was in part because I looked at my calendar, they had already booked all these things. And I thought, I am not going to be able to keep up with handwritten notes in the way that I need to for this job. And I was a little bit scared, to be honest. Like, I just thought, how am I going to process all this information? So I ended up setting up a system for myself in a platform called Notion. And I basically do weekly spreads that are the equivalent of my planner but they're also allowing me to capture to-do items. I have templates that I'm using for my meeting notes and I can kind of easily funnel information kind of automatically into certain spaces. Now this week I created something that I'm very proud of in Notion called that I'm calling catch and release. And it's basically a new database of all the people who report to me and some key people that I meet with regularly And I created a notes database that in any meeting that I'm in, if I'm like, oh, I need to talk to this person about this, or I need to talk to so-and-so about that, or I need to ask this person a question, I put it in my notes database, I tag it with that person, and it funnels it to their database, 
So I can basically, when I'm meeting with one of my staff, I can pull up their kind of dashboard page and say, okay, what were all the things this week that came up that I knew I needed to talk to this person about? So rather than trying to kind of like constantly be moving that information around in different ways, I'm trying to funnel it all into one space in kind of an automatic way. That's cool. So it kind of like tags it to the person. If you it does. Them. It, oh, it's okay. a, yeah, it tags it to the person. And so I have this um, database of all these people. And honestly, this is most important for my boss because I have meetings with her consistently and there's all these things that are being funneled into me from like the 10 people who report to me that I, I have to decide what gets moved up to her. There's right. other meetings I'm having. We have to have strategy sessions. So I feel like I'm constantly saying like, oh, talk to her about this, talk to her about that. And then I can basically build an agenda for any meeting that comes out of that. Right. Um, so being able to tag that, I also have to do leadership reports and things that I'm writing and it allows me to put a note in there, tag it for the leadership report so that when I'm drafting it, I just have the notes that I need to put into that report. That has been kind of a game changer for me this week. And so the evolution of how I'm using Notion over time to track those, those kind of weekly spreads, to track my to-dos, to track the notes that I need to talk to other people about and also to do some tracking of like weekly and daily habits. Um, I do some reflection in there. I mean, it's really become a very robust system for me in a pretty short amount of time. And I never thought I would be this person. And, and yet like here I am and I'm like a total evangelist now for what you can do. I don't think it works for everyone, but like I want to show people like this is possible to do this in a way that it kind of mimics or uses the principles of a paper-based system that worked for me previously. And now I have it with me all the time Um, on my phone, on my laptop. It's really helpful. Yeah. And it's less about the thing. It's about your system. And that's what you've just said. It it helps you to organize a little bit better. That's really neat. I'm going to take a look. I'll put a link to that resource as well as your podcast in our show notes for sure for our listeners, because maybe they're thinking about shifting what they do like I am right now. Um, And I think um, the other thing we kind of chatted a bit, and I know that I want to talk to you a bit about was like having a really comprehensive onboarding process. And so I'm pretty grateful my organization has like a, essentially like a ready to launch plan and it's thinking about it in your first week, second week, first month, up to third month of what you should be doing. And I know that yours is kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm super grateful for um, organizations that do that and all the things you're thinking about getting you involved in at, the, uh, at your university, in my company. I've kind of like oh, this is amazing. Why didn't I have this before? This has been the best like onboarding plan ever. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience so far and what you're thinking. Yeah, this is probably one of the best onboarding experiences I've ever had. Um, starting about probably six weeks before I was onboarded officially, things they set up my email and my calendar before I got there. Like That was like the first thing. And then they just started adding things in so that I kind of, I knew a little bit before I got there, like that this was going to be a little crazy in terms of the meetings, but there's a mix of, um, kind of, I was able to set up one-on-ones with my staff, which right now I'm doing weekly, um, because I just really need some FaceTime with them. But there's also a lot of meetings where like my boss is kind of doing a handoff and she's like introducing me to someone to give me context, but then kind of saying, Katie is now the person who's doing this thing. Um, and that's been really helpful. And then there's also some meetings that are more informational. So it's like, this is a meeting with, you know, my counterpart in another part of the organization who's going to kind of give me context about higher education accreditation in the state of Kansas, you know, like, and, and what does that look like? So I have this kind of range of meetings that are 
Some of them are people introductions. Some of them are topic introductions or process introductions. Some of them are project-based because I'm moving something forward with my staff. Um, and it, it's packed. I mean, like literally every day, it's basically back to back. There's very little margin, but it's actually been working really well because I feel like I'm starting to understand how all the things connect with each other and, and to get a better context of kind of what's going on. Um, and also I do have quite a bit of control. So if like I had a situation come up kind of spontaneously where I needed time to look at something and I just went to my assistant and was like, okay, I need you to clear like two hours. And, and I, and we kind of looked at my calendar and figured out where that would do the least damage to kind of move some things around. Um, and, but that's helpful to have someone else who's kind of doing some of that work for me. I also did have a checklist from kind of a central HR. I had an internal checklist, um, of who to meet with and kind of what to learn about, I had appointments on my calendar to go get my ID card to, you know, like all the things that you need to do. And then the paperwork, of course, of like getting your retirement set up, getting your health insurance set up, like there's all these things too. So I feel like I, I want to spend some time actually thinking about this, Laura, because I feel like there's a lot that has happened in February. And I actually feel like there was something about how they did it that I'm like, it's okay. You know, like, I feel like I, I kind of handled it. Okay. And like, yeah. I'm not exactly sure how, like that was structured that it was so it, it's almost like they had, and I don't know that they could have done this honestly, like just because of what I know of the organization and, and, and they have full-time jobs, obviously, Sure. but it's almost like they sat down and said, what is the order in which these things need to happen? And they, they did kind of do like a ripple effect where it was like, I started with the organization and then we kind of rippled out to some people who were kind of immediate and then we rippled out even further. And so there was definitely some thought given to that, but even the order in which I've gotten some of the topic meetings has just been really helpful. Mm -hmm. So you can tell that they put time and effort and attention into bringing me in, in a way that's really going to help me to hit the ground running. And like you, I could not appreciate that more. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think there is a cultural thing that they want to get people in and make you aware of what the organization is like and what to expect within your own division or unit that you're operating. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see them kind of share a bit about like the campus that you're at, or they're sharing a little bit about the culture of our company or what we do that's different. Um, and so I think it's kind of been fun to go through like I, I literally have a dashboard of it's, it is a launch plan where you check off when you finished it. So I've got 58 of my 70 things done and then things get added to it based on need or questions I ask. And they're mm -hmm. like, Oh, maybe you should learn about this and check out this online little segment thing or mm -hmm. go talk mm -hmm. to so-and-so that's more relevant to your role. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty grateful that you have like an onboarding buddy mentor as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that we have some there we could check in with. And then people are just very, they want you to succeed in your role and right. flounder. So there are, they are checking in or what do you need? And um, I think that's really important. And, and both you and I have shared that we really appreciate the people that we report to um, are cognizant of like, how you doing? And you're me with them regularly. And yeah, multiple one-on-ones or touch bases to know each mm -hmm. week that you're getting what you need um, to do the yeah. best you can. And they want to successful onboarding plan and program. So anyone thinking about this in your own kind of unit division or org really needs to do a combination of like macro and micro meets, right? And understandings of what is going on around you and how you're going to be impacted in your role. And mm -hmm. I never got that before in many, many jobs. You're just kind of like, sit in, shadow, 
learn um, learn on the job. Like it's kind of a combination of things. Um, mm-hmm. It's really mm-hmm. not, not as thoughtful, I think. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Well, and I would also say we had talked about this briefly um, before too, that there is something to be said, and this is going to sound like so obvious, but like, I feel like it's important to go from one role into another role where you're actually bringing very concrete skills that match into the new role. Because even though the job I just took is very different than what I did before, it's still within an online learning organization. And that's where I came from. And so I felt like I came with this kind of context where I could diagnose and kind of give value add like very early on because I, I kind of knew some things. I had some ideas. I had a kind of um, strategy of how I wanted to move things forward. And that has given me confidence as I've come into the new role where I don't feel like I'm just, you know, completely coming into a new environment and I don't know what to do. You know, like I feel like I've really been able to hit the ground running and add value almost immediately And that I think is also really important when you're thinking about shifting from one role to another is what are you bringing in terms of kind of your unique skills and abilities that are really going to be, obviously you're hired for a reason. I mean, like this is the obvious part of it, but sometimes you don't know exactly what the role is. And people would be saying like, well, what are you going to be doing? And I was like, honestly, I'm not sure. Like I have to get in there and like figure out what the projects are like. And I think that was kind of weird for people. Yeah. But when you move up into kind of a leadership realm, yeah. that's the case. Like you, you, it's not like a lockstep kind of job. You have to go in and kind of strategize and have vision for what it's going to look like. And you don't always know what that is until you get there. So that part I think was also as obvious as it sounds like that was a really important thing for me to feel like I could come into this role and really rely on what I had learned previously and apply it in this new environment. You know what? I would say that's not obvious, Katie. I think people think they're getting hired for a role or position to do that thing that they've been, that was listed in the job description or what they think it's supposed to be. And I think you bring up a good point is some of what we're doing aren't necessarily just titles or job functions. It's what's the need that you're brought in to do. And I think you and I have kind of talked about as we've onboarded, we've actualized and said, oh, they like that I do this. Although the role is I'm in learning experience design. Oh, they, I'm really asking about what's the actual performance and behavior. And right. I'm pushing at that. I was like, oh, this is the thing that I'm going to help them figure out and identify. So, oh, it's not the same thing I was doing, but I can transfer and translate this mm-hmm. to this um, experience and this learning design. And so it's very interesting to go, really good hiring is they're identifying a talent that's missing or a gap that's not there on their team exactly. and they really want to enhance it. So mm-hmm. it's been fun to kind of, I guess it's our discovery phase and onboarding is what is that thing that they're looking for and that you can really add in your skill set or your talents. And you've said it, like, it's not obvious because I don't think people always think about that when they onboard. They're like, oh, I have to do the thing I was hired to do. Maybe, or maybe you're asked to bring more. I don't know. Right, exactly. Or maybe the thing you were hired to do isn't always clear like, <laughs> yes. until, you're, until you're there. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, oh, uh, that's <laughs> why I'm here. <laughs> no, I think it's been very interesting. Um, it reminds me of, I, I don't know if you've, uh, heard, you've probably heard of Adam Davidson from uh, NPR's Planet Money. I'm reading his book called The Passion Economy right now. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it, it, it's around the new rules of work to thrive. And one of the two things is he's like, figure out the thing you're really good at doing 
and keep working on that skill because that's the skill that's going to help you regardless of what happens in the economy. Uh, right. So he's an economics person, but your, your job is always going to be, career is going to be shifting based on different needs. But what do you do really well? And keep working on that one thing because that's going to help you be, um, like as I say, career proof down the road because mm-hmm. your that job may not exist or that role, but the thing that you're really good at will. And so that's made me think about more about um, kind of what we're talking about is think of the skills that really are an asset to people you work with. So yeah, yeah. Well, and I think you also have to be able to talk about those skills when you're on the job market. Like this is something that I've realized as I people have been asking me, you know, about you know the interview process, and and I've been kind of reflecting and sharing on kind of how I got into this new job because this was the only job I applied for when I went on the market, mm-hmm. and I was very explicit when I interviewed of like these are the things I'm really good at. You know, like I'm really good at vision. I'm really good at execution. I'm a strategy person. I'm a systems person. I like like incrementally improving processes. Mm-hmm. You know, like those kinds of things. And there were certainly things that I've been leveraging since I got into this new job. Like I did a very important um, editorial kind of skill-based thing this past week. And that's a skill set that I've brought. It's not what I was hired to do, but it was, you know, helping to kind of edit an important document. Um, I think that being able to articulate what it is that are kind of what I call your superpowers, the things that really set you apart that helps people to know if you're a match. And I I think that some people feel really uncomfortable talking about those things or they don't know what they are. And the the farther along you go in your career and the more you kind of know what it is that you really bring to an environment, it helps you to make sure the fit is right and that you're going to be like operating in what some people call like a zone of genius, you know, like Mm -hmm. all the time because Mm -hmm. you've been hired to do something that is higher level strategy or that is really focused on systems. And it makes the work feel a lot less like work, I think. Yeah, I, I really like that. Part of my onboarding was, as you said, superpowers is identifying how you work best and what kind of environment you thrive in and then what kind of ways that your team can understand how you work. And so explaining that to those you work with and who report to you or who you report to as well really gives them a best understanding of how you will thrive and even grow. So Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Um, Are there things that you can think of that kind of, because I know you and I both read and look at things all the time. Are there any kind of like resources or books or podcasts or things that kind of got you thinking more about your next step and phases as you either applied or transitioned in and that you're kind of like, oh, this has been helpful for me. Um, I'd love to share it. So the one that immediately comes to mind is kind of a weird one, um, but it's come up just this past week. And I, and it, I think it really resonated with my team and it may be kind of too niche for other people to find it applicable, but it's the one that immediately comes to mind. And that is Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird, which is a book on writing. Um, but the premise of it, which is kind of how I've utilized it in this last week is the the title comes from a conversation she had with her father when she was working on this report, when she was a young child and it was on birds and she was feeling very overwhelmed. And he said, you just have to take it bird by bird. And this was something that my organization is in the midst of a lot of change. You know, we're trying to kind of figure out and answer a lot of questions and people are feeling overwhelmed. And I think higher ed in general, like change management is not always super effective and people can get really overwhelmed really fast and it's paralyzing. And so this past week in a couple of situations, we used this metaphor and we just said, we're just going to take it bird by bird. We're just going to do one thing at a time that will lead to the next thing. You know, we'll get more information. We'll get more clarity. We'll get more context about, about how we're supposed to move forward. 
And I do feel like, you know, sometimes when you're thinking about shifting to a new job or you're kind of not sure what's going to happen, and especially when you're on the market, which is just kind of a horrible situation in general, it's very stressful. Um, you do have to just take it bird by bird. Like you, you get certain amounts of information at certain times. You have to make decisions based on what you know. There's certain things you're not going to know that you have to move forward, you know, anyway. And so I, I don't know that the, the book would be as helpful to people unless they're interested in the writing piece, but the concept of, you know, just take it one step at a time, because sometimes that's really all you can do. Yeah, that's a book that it's funny, Jeff Jackson recommended that book to me and I haven't read it yet. But now that I'm talking to you, maybe I should because I do write. So uh, that's a good, that's a good, good reason. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I know that you also have other things on the go and projects that beyond the new role, you were doing a lot of fun new things. And I thought we could talk a little bit about um, that. I was really excited to learn that you launched a couple of things. You have a new coaching curriculum and a mm -hmm. coach to coach podcast. I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that with our listeners so they can, if interested, go check it out. But this is something you've been working on and building for the last few years. Um, I'd love for you to share. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I went through my own training to become basically like a life and work coach. And um, I'm certified through the International Coaching Federation. And um, I, as I was kind of going through that process and, th and I had been coaching for a while before that, and then kind of built up to doing the credentialing, um, coaching has such an interesting space in higher education. You know, like there's all these different ways that people are coached everything from like dissertation writing to career coaching to success coaching for undergraduates um, to life coaching or, or kind of work coaching. And um, then there's coaching that happens at the organizational level. I mean, like I could go on and on. There's just all these different things that happen, but there's not a lot of training for people who are doing this work and you can be credentialed, but you wouldn't necessarily be credentialed with a training that was kind of aware of the higher education environment. So this got me thinking about a year ago, and I decided to draft a curriculum basically for a coach training that would be for people who want to coach in higher ed. Either they're coming out of higher ed, and so they're very kind of familiar with that, or they're looking for a client base that is basically in higher ed. So whether that's students or faculty or administrators. Um, and so this was something I launched in January. So as we were moving, I launched this coach training program. And um, it is basically like the favorite part of my week. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with this new job. And I also have a coaching practice. So I coach a lot of clients um, in the evenings and on the weekends. But this coach training, it's like this melding of like, you know, all the things that are my superpowers into this, this little package that I can kind of give to other people. And it's been really fun. So this is, it's basically a series of courses that people can take to learn about coaching, to get the skills. Um, at the very tail end of 2019, I did some binge writing sessions to finish the coach training guide, which is basically a book that I give to people who come through this training. And um, it is definitely like, you know, it's one of those things that kind of feels like a puzzle piece being put into like the, the my life's purpose puzzle, <laughs> you know, of like, yep, this is a piece. This is something that I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, so that is definitely one big project that I've been working on. And as part of that, I did launch a podcast called Coach to Coach, which is um, basically a series of conversations between me and another coach where we're actually coaching each other on the podcast. And this was really to help people understand what coaching is. I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with the concept and they, if they've never done coaching, they don't know what a session looks like. They, it's 
there's a lot of different coaching styles. And so this podcast really highlights different coaching styles. And um, season two is releasing right now as we record this. Um, And then season three, I'm in the midst of recording it. And then I do use some of those episodes for coach training as well. But it is freely available out there for people who want to learn a little bit more about coaching. And we coach on real topics of like, what are we dealing with in our everyday lives? And it's so I, I hope it gives people a taste of, you know, what coaching looks like, what are some of the skill sets that are involved in it. And um, the coach training that I am running, it onboards new um, kind of enrollment classes in January and June. So if it's something that you're kind of interested in, we can drop a link in the show notes. Um, and I'm also happy to answer questions about it if it's something that you want to learn more about. Uh, if you're not aware, Katie has um, a lot of learning out loud sessions is what I call it, a podcast that will decide, share, like coaching, uh, what she does and how she works and all that great stuff. So um, I'll definitely link to uh, coach to coach, but also um, the coaching series. Cause I think I am interested in, cause you're right. A lot of people aren't formally trained through um, and recognized through ICF, but say I'm a coach with very little skills and practice coming to that. So I think it's great that you're doing that, especially targeting um, folks in higher ed and or academia. Um, I think it's, and it's for non um, higher ed folks too. So if you're thinking I'm just doing learning or I'm doing something else in industry, and let's say you're thinking, I really want to tool up and work on my coaching skills. This is probably the curriculum and training you will want to check out. So I'll put a link to this program in the show notes. There are lots of things we talk with people around story and wine. I know that you don't drink wine, but is there a certain beverage that you've been craving these days lately, whether you're gathering with a friend's family, um, what's your go-to uh, drink of choice these days. Yeah. Yeah. So right now I am really into like an evening routine around, um, kind of coming down from all the things (laughs) of the day. And, um, I have been really digging, um, chocolate hazelnut decaf tea from stash. It's a dessert tea. Mm. And I was recently talking about this on Instagram and people were like, wait, there's a thing like a dessert tea. Like they, they'd never heard of this before. So yes, there are these dessert teas and you can put in like, you know, some coconut based creamer or something like that. And it is just lovely. Like it is a perfect way to end the evening. And, um, so yeah, chocolate hazelnut tea is kind of my go-to right now. Um, and I'm really loving it. It's a good way to kind of calm down and just have like a treat at the end of the day. I love it. I'm a big tea drinker myself, so I'm going to check that out. I've been looking for some more loose leaf and I've my go-to that lives in this area is Steepology, the 200 different loose leaf teas. So I'm really excited and maybe I'll have to find some dessert ones to send out to you now, Katie, now that I know that you're into that. Um, Good. Uh, Yeah. And before we wrapped up, I'd be apropos because I'm part of kind of what you wrote about recently. Uh, I want to mention another book that you've developed, which is going alt ack. And, uh, I haven't read it, but I guess through your co-authors, you all have given me ideas of where to look outside of academia for work. Um, if you want to share a little bit about that, um, and I'll put a link to the book, uh, if people are interested because we have listeners from inside and outside higher ed that might be interested. Yeah. So this is a book that came out in January, uh, as we record this January, 2020, and it's called going alt ack, a guide to alternative academic careers. And, Um, I wrote this book, co-wrote it with Kevin Kelly and Tom Tobin, and we've been working on it for the last couple of years now. And it's really, um, it's the book I wish I had, honestly, like when I was in grad school. And even after grad school, I had at one point an opportunity on my podcast to review a book that was basically like, here's the pathway to tenure. And I was like, where's the pathway for all tech people? Because, you know, this is 
there's a lot of people who have PhDs that are practicing in all these different areas of higher ed. And there isn't really a clear sense of like what you're supposed to do with that career. And kind of like what you were saying earlier, Laura, about like building up particular skills and making sure you're marketable and kind of having that transfer between different roles. Those are things we're not necessarily talking about. So as I was writing this um, and co-writing this with our, our my co-authors, um, I was also going through this coach training. And so like, there's a lot of coaching stuff in there. I mean, there's little tools, there's exercises, there's reflective prompts. Like this is a book that is really meant to help you to think through, you know, in a, a pretty systematic way, what are the things you're hoping for out of an alternative academic career? And it is meant for people who are kind of at the grad school level who are like, is this something I want to pursue? It's also meant for people who are kind of at mid-career and they're wondering, you know, do I want to be on the tenure track anymore? Or, you know, I'm trying to come into higher ed or I'm trying to leave higher ed. What are some of the options for me? Um, so we've been getting really good feedback on it so far, and I'm just really excited to have another resource out there that's talking really positively about the alternative academic career. I think sometimes people think about it as like a fallback and I really don't. I mean, this has like been my choice my entire career and it's been really fulfilling and meaningful for me. So yeah, going all tack and it's, uh, out from stylus just in the past month or so. Yeah, I'll definitely share that. I think it would be a helpful resource for even advisors. So those advising yes. doctorate students, yes. because I think some of them struggle because they chose a, a tenure track path. They don't really know how else to advise sometimes, or they forget that there are other things right. that it's just changed. The PhD yeah. and EDD, the graduate market in general has changed from grad school to where they're going to go on their career. So I think that sounds like a great resource. So thanks. Yeah, we definitely meant it for advisors, career counseling folks, mm -hmm. people, because you're right, like the landscape is evolving and a lot of people don't have a resource to point people to. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely meant for that too. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, um, I always like to know what's bringing you joy these days. So is there something in your life, whether it's um, something you're doing or involved in or listening to uh, that's making you smile? Okay. This is the thing that I'm like obsessed with lately. Good. It's a podcast and it's called Red or Dead. And it is all about mystery and thriller books. And this is like my genre. Like this is like when I read fiction, this is my genre. They have exploded my to be read pile. Like I have like 30 books out from the library right now, which I have zero time to read any of them. <laughs> um, but this is what's fun about it. And this is what I love about podcasts is it's like dovetailing with stuff I already know. So I went back and I've like binge listened to their backlist and I'm, I'm just catching up to like mid 2019, but they're talking about a lot of books I've already read. So it's just kind of like this really fun conversation that I'm listening into that I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that book or I follow that author or like, there's just, I have enough knowledge about that, that genre that I can kind of have some fun. So I've been listening to this, like probably a couple episodes every morning. This is like my workout when I'm working out and then if I'm commuting into work or whatever, I'm listening to this. And I think I've gotten through like 40 episodes in the past four weeks. Like it's <laughs> insane. I'm Are they short episodes? Excited. It sounds like they're quick. They're like 45 minutes, so okay. not super short. Some of them are up to an hour, depending on what they're talking about. Um, but it's it's very cool too because it's the same two hosts. They're very um, they're very aware of kind of diversity and inclusion issues when it comes to mysteries mm -hmm. and thrillers. So they talk about that quite a bit. And they also talk a lot about adaptation news. So like, what are the things that have been picked up to be moved into TV or movies? So you're getting kind of a, and then what are the news items around mysteries and thrillers? You wouldn't think there would be like this whole set of information that you need to know about mysteries and thrillers, yeah. but there is, and I am super interested in it. So this is bringing me a lot of joy. 
<laughs> I think that's great. Okay, Red or Dead. That'll be, I'm going to check it out. I do like some of that genre. So, but that might add to my book list though. Mm, I'm it torn does, it explodes it. Well, and I should also mention for people who are like, I don't want mysteries and thrillers, but I do like sci-fi or I do like something else. It's part of a podcast network from a book blog called Book Riot. So if you go onto like Apple Podcasts or something and you just look for Book Riot, you might find another podcast that is kind of in the realm of a genre that you're interested in. So there's some that are just like about general literary book recommendations and other kinds of things. And then they have these subgenre ones. There's one about young adult books that I'm like, mm. I can't even, I can't <laughs> even listen to it because it will explode my, my pile even more. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of them that look really interesting. This is just the one that I started with. I love it. All right. Yeah. We're going to add that in. Uh, we'll add the Book Riots Network as well as the Red or Dead. So thank you so much, Katie. Yeah, of course. It's been delightful. We could talk about so many things and I know that we will. So maybe we'll touch base another time. Um, but thank you for coming on the Vino Fab. We, it's been lovely to hear about your onboarding story and get advice and uh, hear how it's going. So thanks for coming. This was wonderful. Thanks so much for inviting me, Laura. To catch the next episode, be sure to subscribe to InVinoFab, wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at InVinoFab, and we'll always welcome comments and messages sent by tweet, private message, or email at InVinoFabulum at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.